Good evening, church family. It is good to be in God's house. I don't know why on a night we're talking about kindness, Gabe, you have to mention Billy Joel. Uh, and I don't know why people always make fun of us for going to the Billy Joel concert. I mean, if you ever wonder to rock out with a stadium full of 60-year-olds, uh, that is the place to go. And I don't know what it is about old music, but I like old music. And uh, one of my favorite Billy Joel songs, by the way, is All About Soul. Anybody know that song? Okay, anybody under 40? Okay, no? And um, in that song, it's all about soul. There's a line in that song where Billy Joel says, in, in, in some people, there's no trace of human kindness. There's no trace of human kindness. And that sure, certainly shouldn't be true of us in this room tonight, should it? We've been uh, talking about the fruits of the Spirit for over a month now. We're working our way around the horn. And tonight we are on the fruit banana, uh, which is exciting to me. It's my favorite fruit. Um, and, but when it comes to, to, to kindness, the one thing I want us to see tonight is that kindness is no small thing. Kindness is no small thing. It is extremely powerful in the lives of people. And I think sometimes we underestimate how God might use our acts of kindness in people's lives. And in, in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 21, verse 21, the author tells us, if you wanna live a full life, as a believer, if you want to live a life of valor, if you want to live a life of honor, it says to pursue two things, righteousness and kindness. So I just, I just mentioned that to start off to say, kindness is really important. And sometimes I think that, that, that we don't give it the, the, the credence and the weight that we should. Now I was preparing the, this evening, this week, to, to talk to you about the differences between worldly kindness and the kindness that we see demonstrated that is not of the Spirit of God and how it, it, it differentiates from, from kindness that is rooted in God. But the Lord kind of directed me in a different way this week, so we're not gonna get into that, but I recommend you read up on that. It's, it's, a, it's, it's good for us as Christians to understand the roots of all different types of, of kindness. But when I think of kindness, and, and, and we think about the different characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience. With some of those words, when you first hear them, do you think of like a definition? I know that I do. I immediately go to a definition. But when I hear the word kindness, I don't usually think of a definition. I think of experiences I've had. I think of people, people who maybe personify kindness in, 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 in their lives. And so when, when I think of, uh, of kindness, I immediately think of people. I think of experiences. I think of when I was 12 years old. Um, I was at a summer camp, a Christian summer camp. It was called Oil Belt Christian Service Camp. And uh, I was there, and I remember one night I, I got... I got a migraine, which was common for me at that time in my life, and uh, I was down for the count all evening. So I was in my bunk for like five hours, and one of the workers there at the camp came and sat with me for all those five hours. And you know, if you're a 12-year-old, you're around all of your peers, this is kind of embarrassing, right? I wasn't, I wasn't digging the situation, and I, and I felt guilty. This man was having to sit with me, and I kept apologizing. I'm sorry, you gotta sit with me. And he kept saying to me, don't worry about it. He goes, I'm not really even doing this for you, Blake. I'm doing it because God calls us to do kind things. So as I, I sat there in that bunk sick at the age of 12, he was preaching a sermon to me on kindness and the way that he was treating me. You know, when I came to, uh, when I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, I was 22 years old. And uh, I came here to go to seminary. 
And it wasn't but a few weeks, I, I joined Ninth and O. And there was a couple in the church, they were in their 50s, and I didn't know them all that well. We'd had a meal or two together. And it wasn't but maybe two months after I joined the church, they said, Blake, we know that you're new in seminary. We know that you're working your way and you're paying your way through school. We'd just like to give you $500 a month for the first year while you're, while you're at seminary. That's amazing. Who does that, right? And, and I thought, that is kindness. That is generosity. That, that's, not, that's not something that I deserve. And there's all these types of stories that, that come to my mind when I hear the word kindness. The point is, is, is that when I think of kindness, my, my mind naturally goes to people and events and, and specific moments in time. And, and maybe that's like you as well. Maybe the, the same is for you. I think it's a very relational word. But you know, my life has been shaped by the kindness of others, kindness of, of the people of God. And I'm guessing that, that your life too has been shaped by the people of God as well and their kindness. So tonight we're gonna be talking about kindness and I've specifically not put up a teaching outline uh, up here on the screen because here's what I would like for you to do instead. As the Lord brings to your mind, I'd like for you just to, to type out or to, to, to write out uh, instances or moments when, when you experience kindness. So if you need to, uh, you know, uh, push me to the side as I'm talking for a few minutes, as you take down some notes, that, that's fine. But I want you to be thinking in terms of kindness, specific acts of kindness that you've experienced. And, and, and I hope that as all of us are doing that here in the next just, just 30 minutes, that all of us will be, be reminded of God's goodness to us and his, and his graciousness to us and how he, is, he has brought kindness into our lives. And we're going to do something just a little bit different uh, this evening. Um, and, and as an act of worship, as kind of a public expression uh, of our, our gratefulness to the Lord and how he's shown us kindness, in just a few minutes, I'm actually going to open up this mic. And this isn't something that we, we typically do. Um, so either this is going to go really well and you guys are going to participate or it's going to be very awkward. And that's okay too. Um, but in a few minutes, I'm gonna invite you to come up here. And if you wanna share just a quick little snippet story of where you have, you, God has planted in your mind, this is how God showed his kindness to me through an individual, through another believer. I'm, I wanna invite you to come up here. I'll give you 30 seconds or less. I'll cut you off if you go longer. We only need one sermon tonight. But my hope is in doing this, as we hear one another's stories and as we're reminded of God's kindness to us, we will all just be blessed. By, by knowing that we serve a kind and gracious God. So we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But when the Bible uses the word kindness, what does it mean? What does it mean when we read that word in scripture? You know, in the Old Testament, God is often praised for his kindness. And there's this beautiful Old Testament word, this Hebrew word, hesed. And some of you have maybe heard that word before. It's a very rich word, full of meaning. And sometimes in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it's translated love. Other times it's translated mercy. At other instances, we see it translated compassion. There's also, it's associated with words such as, as, as generosity and, and devotion. But other times the word is translated kindness or, or loving 
kindness. So if we had a, a recipe card for kindness and we had a mixing bowl and we were, we were throwing in the different ingredients for what makes up kindness, the Bible would say kindness is made up of, of love and mercy and compassion and devotion and generosity. And as you're thinking of these stories that come to mind that the Lord's bringing to your mind of where you've experienced kindness, I'm guessing that you, you're thinking of people who, who live out lives of love and mercy and compassion and, and, and generosity. My first semester in seminary, I took uh, an Old Testament course, and my Old Testament uh, professor's name was Daniel Block. And he loved this word so much, and I can still hear him in his accent saying it, he, uh, talking about hesed and loving kindness. He loved it so much, he actually put it on his license plate. So this guy is committed. I guess in, with Old Testament professors, that's like a cool thing to do, maybe. I don't know. But nonetheless, he moved to Illinois, so maybe it's available here in Kentucky if you'd like to get hesed on your license plate. But, but Dr. Block, I don't remember every lecture that he gave, but man, I certainly remember the lecture he gave on the book of Ruth because he loved this book. I think he loved it for a lot of reasons. I think in part because it points us to Christ as we'll get to here in just a few minutes. But I think he also loved it because within its chapter, its chapters, we have this word peppered, this, this, this word hesed peppered throughout its chapters. So turn to the book of Ruth and we're gonna take a quick journey through this small book. And we're gonna pause along the way where we see this idea of hesed. We see this idea of, of God's kindness, his loving kindness, his steadfast love. You know, the, the book of Ruth, I, I think that what is, makes it even more beautiful is that it, it's kind of like a breath of fresh air when you're reading through the Old Testament. If you remember, um, the, the, the book, uh, the events of the book happened during the time of the judges. And this was not a, a great time in Israelite history, was it? Uh, but but in, I guess in contrast, we have nestled this, this short little story, this beautiful story uh, right here in the midst of kind of a dark time in Israel's history. And the story not only teaches us about God's provision, and we're going to see that in this book, but it also teaches us that, that God wants his people to be his hands and his feet in unleashing acts of hesed in one another's lives. And that's the application for us in here tonight, right? We are to treat one another with kindness, just like we see in this book. So in chapter one, we read that a, named, uh, a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi, uh, they leave Bethlehem um, at a time when there's a famine going on in the land. And if you remember, if you, if you read there in chapter one, it tells you that it, they moved to the land of Moab with their two sons. And after arriving in Moab, uh, the two sons, they marry uh, Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. Now, Marrying a, a Moabite woman was an utter, utterly uh, shameful act for an Israelite. And the reason being is that the Moabite people originated out of an, an ancestral relationship between Lot and his youngest daughter. So for Israelites, Moabites were considered to be a forbidden, kind of an immoral people living in a cursed land. In fact, if, if we had time to flip to Numbers 25, uh, it tells us that there are a group of Israelite men that were seduced by um, Moabite women. And what does God do? He comes down, he strikes dead 24,000 Israelites. So, you know, if you're an Israelite, you just don't mess with the Moabite women. You know, if you're setting up your, your profile on Jewish mingle, uh, you know, you might want to keep out of the parameters uh, Moabite women. It's just not going to end well. Yet in chapter 1, we read that these two sons, that they buck tradition, don't they? They buck tradition, they marry Moabite women. So as time goes by, before an heir can be born through either of Elimelech's sons, we read that Elimelech and his two sons die. And look at chapter one, verse eight. 
In response, we see Naomi, she pleads to God. Notice she turns to God in her desperation. There's a teaching point there, but Naomi pleads to God that he would show kindness in the situation. And we read, it says, Naomi said to them, each of you, speaking to Ruth and Orpah, go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness, loving kindness, hesed, to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. And notice the heart of Naomi here. She doesn't even pray for herself, but she prays for others. In fact, nowhere in this book does anybody pray for their own welfare. They pray for the welfare of others. And what we're gonna see is these, as the pages um, unfold, as God begins to answer Naomi's prayers in ways she would never have presumed upon the Lord. So as the chapter continues, we read that Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem. And Orpah makes the decision to stay in, in Moab. But what does Ruth do? She decides to go with Naomi. And we shouldn't pass over this like it's, like it's, it's no big deal. I mean, there's a reason that Orpah stays behind. To go with Naomi is a harder life. You think about leaving your own homeland, your own family, everything that you know about life, and going with this, this older woman to a land where you're going to be mistreated. This is not the easy decision. Now, uh, Ruth gives up so much, and for what? Just, just to care for an aging woman. And, and, and Ruth puts her love for Naomi into action. And that's what kindness does, right? That's what we call an acts of kindness. She's putting her, her, her love, her devotion into action for Naomi. And I also believe that it's likely that, that the reason that, that Ruth makes this decision and Orpah doesn't is because God is working on the heart of Ruth. God is, is, is bringing her to salvation in him. And if we look down at verses 16 and 17, there's evidence of this. Notice what Ruth says to, to her mother-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Notice the spiritual awakening that's happening in her life. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And that's what kindness does. Kindness, it, it, it says, you know what, I know that I'm not going to get anything out of this transaction. You know, I know this isn't going to end, you know, in the positive for me. This isn't necessarily going to be profitable for me. But nonetheless, I'm going to do it. And that's why I think that when we think of kind people, and hopefully you're beginning to write down some things and some ideas of, or, or thinking about ways that people have shown you kindness, they were probably very spiritually mature people because it takes sacrifice to be a person of kindness. And, and, that, and that, 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 that takes time to cultivate in someone's life. So Naomi, what does she do? She returns to Israel with Ruth. And they return, they're, they're hopeless, they're penniless, they're, they're foodless, they're familyless, they're all the lessons that you could possibly be, and that's how they are returning to Israel. So they are desperate, and they are needing someone to, to help them. They're in a desperate position, and they are trusting God to act. And that's where some of us are tonight. We, we, we're in a desperate spot, and we're trusting God to act. That, that, that walk, that journey from Moab back to Israel must have been a long one. As, as This is kind of the wilderness. They don't know what's ahead of them. They, they can only hope that God is going to provide for them. And in the last sentence of chapter 1, let's read this. What we see here is just a glimmer of hope. Because it says, And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And as we will see, this coming into the land during the harvest provides Naomi and Ruth just a shred of hope. 
Read verse one there in chapter two. It says, now Naomi had a kinsman and her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So the author here, what does he do? He provides an introductory note. You know, we don't, Boaz doesn't come into the story until verse three, but the author wants us to know a few things about him beforehand. First of all, what's it tell us? He says that he's part of the family. There's some relation, a distant relative here. So under Jewish tradition, Jewish law, he has, to, he has a responsibility to care for Naomi and consequently uh, Ruth as well. But it says he also has the resources to provide. He's a man of wealth. So already in verse one, we see God is kind of laying the groundwork. He, he, he's giving us, he's cluing us in on how this story is gonna un, unfold, how God is gonna use this distant relative to provide. Verse two, and Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one who, in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So first of all, notice Ruth's kindness, how it continues. First of all, she's the one who offers to go into the field. I mean, she's the younger woman, uh, so that makes sense. But just think how embarrassing this would have been for Naomi coming back to Israel. She leaves Israel and she has much. She comes back, she has nothing. And it would be kind of like a a modern day beggar on a corner of a street for them. But, But she spares her of that embarrassment and she goes out into the field. And notice again, God is providing by the, the, the sheer um, fact that she's able to go into this field. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, you know, we read that Moses instructs the people of Israel to show kindness to sojourners by uh, not picking their fields and orchards clean with the harvest, but to leave behind a remnant, right, of grain or produce, whatever's in the field, uh, for sojourners and, and people that might be passing by. So God is, is showing kindness to them even in this field. Verse three, it says, so she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to a portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord be with you. So let's just step back and let's assess what's happening here, okay? Step back and, and look at this. It just so happens that, 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 that Ruth, uh, unlike Orpah, she follows her mother-in-law to Israel. And just as a stroke of fortune under Jewish law, she has the, the right to go into this field and, and to pick out uh, some of the grain from the field. And, and just by happenstance, Ruth happens to stumble onto the field of a distant relative. And as luck would have it, Boaz happens to arrive in the field that same day. I, I'm not endorsing it, but if Israel has a lottery, this might be the day that, that Ruth wants to play it because everything is working out in her favor. Everything is lining up, but we know it's not by luck. It's not by chance. God is walking these women through uh, this, this, this challenging time in their life. God, in his goodness, he so often orchestrates kindness when we need it the most, don't we? As I was just kind of jotting down times in my life when God has demonstrated kindness to me, one of the things I noticed was that kindness was demonstrated to me in a time when I really needed it, a time I was desperate. And that's what God does. He he knows when we're desperate. Just as he heard the cry of Naomi, he hears our cries of his people. And that's why we cry. If he didn't respond to us, there would be no reason to cry. But we cry out to God because he is a good God. Just like a parent. A baby would stop crying if the parent never responds to its needs. But we cry because we know we have a God that hears us and he cares about us. This is pure evidence that not only do we serve a God, but we serve a God who is kind and loving. 
Verse five, then Boaz said to his servant, who is in charge of, who is in charge of the reapers? Whose young woman is this? So Boaz, he, he sees Ruth out in the field. He doesn't recognize her, never seen her before. And he turns to one of his workers and he says, whose young woman is this? Or to put it into uh, contemporary vernacular, check her out. He's very interested in her. This is gonna come out more fully in chapter three, which we're not gonna get time to look at tonight. But notice what he doesn't say. I mean, if you see a woman in your field that you own, you might say, who is she? But no, what does he say? He says, whose is she? And that's a fundamental question in this book. We need to see the differentiation here. Because the question is, is she a Moabite? Is this Moabite woman, is she an outsider? Or is she a part of the people of God? You know, is she a foreigner or is she an Israelite? And thus a, a recipient of the blessings and the protection that comes with being a part of the people of God. Because at this juncture in the story, in many ways, Ruth is like an orphan. Because she, do, she doesn't have someone to step up and to care for her. She doesn't have someone to redeem her, as we'll get into that language in just a moment. At this point, in one sense, nobody wants her. There's no one to take care of her. And, and certainly Naomi's not gonna be able to be that for her. So nobody wants her. She's an orphan. You know, one of the, I, I think, saddest moments for, for Lydia and I when we were in the adoption process for, for Will was when we were given a copy of the, the court transcript and we were reading through it and we were reading um, more about Will's background and, and whatnot. And in summation, when you read the transcript, it basically read, no, no one wants him. Okay, that was the language that was used. That was very hard to read, as you can imagine. So when you ask that question, whose boy is this? The answer is no one, you know, because he's an orphan. And, and this is the desperate position that Ruth finds herself in. She needs someone to respond. She needs one to show kindness. She needs someone to redeem her. But loving kindness is about ready to be unleashed. It's, it's about ready to be lavished upon Ruth by Boaz as he is getting ready to step up for this orphan and treat her like she's family. Verse six, and the servant in charge of the reapers answered and said, she is a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and had remained from morning until now. She had been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go and glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this point, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on my field, which they reap, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what my servants draw. Obviously, Ruth has garnered the attention of Boaz, right? That's pretty obvious at this, at this point. And, and, and you might have think this would have been shocking for the workers and the onlookers that, that this Israelite man is treating this Moabite woman with such kindness because he's saying to her, I'm gonna give you shelter, I'm gonna give you food, I'm gonna give you water, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of you and protect you. And, and, and Boaz is making a significant sacrifice and that's what kindness requires, right? It requires sacrifice. He's not only just sacrificing financially, there is some financial loss to him, but it's his reputation that's really where the loss might be for him. And kindness is, is typically not convenient. And, and, and being kind, I don't know about you, it does not always fit into my daily agenda. And you know that feeling when you have an opportunity to be kind, but it's like, I don't got time to be kind today. You know, you, you, you've felt that before. 
But, but kindness says, you know, I'm gonna slow down. I'm gonna put my agenda aside. I'm gonna help somebody else. That's a hard thing to do. It takes a spiritually mature person, someone who is walking in the spirit of God. And, and, but what do we see Ruth's response to Boaz's hesed here? How does she respond? And let's be honest, sometimes we don't like people's kindness, do we? Sometimes we don't want to receive it because of pride in our own life. But in verse 10, we read, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that, I should take notice, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, and under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. You know, kindness is no small thing to someone in need. And, and Ruth felt the weight of that in this, in this setting, in this moment. And Ru Ruth realized that being a Moabite, she is on the bottom rung of the social ladder. But, but that's not how she was treated. And that's what kindness does. It extends compassion. It extends mercy that, that isn't deserved. And I think why that message is so powerful as we're reading this text, and I think why this book was so powerful to my professor, uh, Dr. Block, is because this sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? It sounds like the, like the news of Jesus Christ. We are undeserving, yet God extends compassion. He extends mercy. It's a, this is all a reflection of the work of Christ in the life of the believer. Read verse 14, it says, And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here that, I, that you may eat of the bread and dip your, your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she ate beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. So again here, Boaz is treating Ruth in a way she didn't deserve. And it's kind of like the great reversal here, right? We see the, the, the master is, is serving the servant. And that's so often how scripture defines greatness. And, and, and I, I think for, for us, we, we want to define greatness by our, how much money we have, uh, how good looking we are, how much success we've had in, 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 in our place of work. But God is saying that great greatness in his economy, greatness is measured by sacrifice and service and love for others. And that's what God wants here at Ninth to know. He wants us to unleash kindness and love towards one another. And there are stories like that happening all of the time. And I know you hear about them in your BFG. You, 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 you hear people express them all the time. And even today, I was reminded of, of the kindness of our people, even at this church. I was sitting out here, or standing out here at the, at the table for Love the Ville, and we're working on the sign-ups for Love the Ville. We're giving out the cards uh, to support the teachers at Waterson with Love Waterson. And, and a church member came by, and, and he, he looked in, through the baskets, and there was a big stack of cards that were in the basket that said that were for the 50-plus. You know, that's the, that's the kind of the basket we avoid, right? 50-plus dollars. And he just grabbed all the cards and said, count this up and let me know how much it is. I wanna, I wanna cover all these cards. And I thought, who does that, <laughs> you know? The people of God, that's who does that. That's, that. That man could have spent that money on a lot of things. He could have taken a vacation with that money, but he said, no, I want, I want to demonstrate the love of Christ to people in this world, and that's what the people of God do. 
Verse 15 says, when Ruth rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not insult her. And also you shall purposefully pull out for her some, for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So notice how she would have been mistreated, but, but Boaz is making sure that doesn't happen. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. So in, in one day, what we read is, is Ruth gleans out an entire ephah. Now, if you go to Kroger and you ask for an ephah of grain, they'll look at you like, what are you talking about? But according uh, to 1 Samuel 17, this is enough food to feed 50 fighting men. So up to this point, you know, Naomi really doesn't know what's going on. She knows that Ruth has left to go glean in a field, but she's clueless as to exactly what's happened or that she's gleaned in the field of, of, someone, that, of, 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 of someone that they're related to. But when she finds out, look at her response in verse 20. And notice how she, she recognizes that God's hand is behind all of these, of these encounters and actions. Boaz is just the vessel. Verse 20, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may, may he be blessed with the Lord who has not withdrawn his hesed, his kindness to the living and, the, and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Naomi could have cursed the name of the Lord when the famine hit Israel. Naomi could have cursed the Lord when Elimelech died. Naomi could have cursed the Lord when her two daughter-in-laws were barren and couldn't have children. Naomi could have cursed the Lord when her first son died. Naomi could have cursed the Lord when her second son died. Naomi could have cursed the Lord when she's discouraged as she's making this long journey back from Moab to Israel and she's thinking about all that she has lost. She left Israel with family and hope. Now she returns with, with nothing. She could have cursed the Lord at every point, but instead she trusted him through the, through the earthly hells that she was experiencing. She trusted God to show himself faithful and kind and he did in the form of Boaz who was her redeemer. And he was a redeemer in many ways. He was, a, he was a redeemer because he had the right to do it. He was family. We don't have time to go into all the particulars of the book and, and how he was able to redeem her and ultimately marry her. But he redeemed her because she was family. He redeemed her because he had the resources to do so. He had the wealth to redeem her. But he was resolved to redeem her. He had, he, had the, he had the grit to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to act in kindness even when it's hard, even when it's tough, even when people are going to be mocking me behind my back. He said, I'm going to redeem this young lady and her mother-in-law. In the book, Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit, Christopher Wright, he says this. So all in all, the book of Ruth is, is a story of hesed, kindness in action from beginning to end. Boaz and Ruth modeled the kindness of God. That is how God behaves, and that is how his servants should behave, whether native-born Israelites like Boaz or converted foreigners like Ruth. Both of them went beyond what was normal or expected in their own cultures. Both of them took considerable risk, and they did so in order to show kindness to someone in dire need, exactly like God. Now's our time of open mic. 
And I wanna invite you all, as I said earlier, if any of you have something that you've written down, something that's come to mind, um, and, and you just wanna share this as just uh, uh, an act of worship to thank God, uh, I'd invite you to come up right now. And, and if we get flooded and more than one come at a time, that's fine. You can take a seat here in, in, in the front. But I'm just gonna give us a handful of minutes uh, to, to share. Uh, so feel free to go ahead and come on up. And then I'll close this out here in, in just a minute. About, uh, let's see, 1988, a gentleman named Glenn Parker, uh, he, uh, I was dating his daughter, and uh, he started sharing the gospel with me. And uh, it took around five or six nights of, because once he started sharing this with me, it was very conflicting with my belief system. So I needed to know more and more and more. So he was perfectly patient. He was perfectly kind with me. And one night while we were, we were just going through scriptures, he said, we're going to have to stop. And I said, why, why? He said, I got to go to work. It's 6 a.m., Joe. And I said, oh, I got to be at work in two hours too. So... That's how much he invested in me, and because of his kindness, praise the Lord, I'm born again. Keeping you 30 seconds. All right. Uh, there was a time where, under circumstances that were out of our control, my family didn't have a place to live. Um, we were looking at purchasing this place, and the funding got canceled because of the association was delinquent on their dues. We'd already given the notice to the people that we were living with, and they had already rented out our place. I have a large family, and we couldn't find any place that we could afford and um, where we could stay. So um, I was just finishing seminary, and I just cried out to God. I'm like, God, I did all this for you. I, I've come here for you. I've done all this, and now my family's going to be homeless? What's going on? And uh, a family, they were just a couple of same situation. They didn't have anything. Uh, Aaron and the kids went and stayed with uh, uh, my in-laws, and they put me up for several weeks uh, until we could get a place to stay. And by the grace of God, we were able to find this amazing home uh, by somebody we didn't even know that could house our family, could actually afford the rent. And it was a huge blessing. So... That, that family from our church and the gentleman who, who rented to us showed us huge, a huge uh, act of kindness. So, 20 years ago, my pastor husband became ill with a brain tumor, a very serious brain tumor, glioblastoma multiforma that was inoperable and also he would die. I had to stay with him all the time, 24 hours a day. I couldn't do anything else but stay with him and help him. He couldn't. He couldn't speak well, he couldn't make sense, he just needed help. And finally was into um, hospice care, but still they required someone to be with him all the time. Enter Liz. Liz was a German-American who came to see if she could help me. And for a few days she helped at my house, and then when we went to the hospice place, I gave her a key. She still came to my house, cleaned out the refrigerator, changed the beds, did the laundry, washed the floors, did everything that was necessary to keep my house going so I could take care of my husband on his way to heaven. Thank you. Uh, in February, I got a concussion, as some of my friends here know, and I couldn't um, do chores 
or think right or look at bright lights, and my husband, without complaining at all, took over all chores, all meals, all errands, and didn't complain at all, kept the house dark and quiet. And then a few months into that, I injured an ankle, and he, again, without complaining, carried me up and down stairs and picked me up and put me in the shower and brought things to me that I needed, and um, it's been like the best example of God's kindness in my life. We recently came to Ninth and O, and my wife and I have lived in here with our with our four kiddos for a number of years in Louisville. And when we first got here, we came in a broken place, um, both through some past things in our own lives and, and through some circumstances that happened. But our Bible fellowship group came in so many different ways. Um, the first thing people that we met here were Beth and Ryan, and they carved out hours to be able to be with Joel and I and share their lives with us and tell us about the church and. Um, I recently had gotten, I uh, had my, my health, my health failed and, uh, Blake came and spent time with me in the hospital and, um, would just minister to me, uh, Cole and Katie McCollum, uh, took time and said, Hey, we are your family. And, uh, so many in our Bible fellowship group have made us meals and watched over our kids when their kids are sick. Um, it has been an expression of kindness multiplied hand over fist just over and over and we're just, uh, we're really humbled by that. Uh, I moved to Louisville about a year and a half ago. Um, my, I was, at the time, my wife was living in New York and I was not in a good place uh, spiritually or emotionally. Uh, I started coming to Ninth and O and uh, like the gentleman before me, my BFG just poured into me. Uh, people in particular would just pray with me, uh, take me out to food, invite me to things. Uh, some people in particular, uh, Craig Schuff and, and Gabe Heinerman and Steve McCarter especially, just poured into me uh, and, and really showed the love of Christ. About a year and a few months ago, I broke my leg playing sports. Being a Cuban, my mom was very worried about me because we live in a society that people are very close knit together, and she was worried that I would be alone not care for because I couldn't do much, I couldn't move or do anything. But little did she know that I had people here, like Vanna sitting over there, or Mike Knight that would come give me my shots of uh, blood thinner or bring puzzles for me to play with, which I never used, but they were there. <laughs> or bring food or take me out to uh, get breakfast or do all kinds of stuff. My mom was awestruck about the fact that I wasn't alone at all. Like most of the time I was accompanied by someone and that was great. And that was the church showing kindness to me in tangible ways. Um, I came here, I don't know, nine years ago, yes, 10 years ago. Um, we, I had no money. <laughs> I had no car, I had nothing, practically just a strong calling that I felt the Lord wanted me to come here to go to Boyce. Um, and semester after semester, my tuition was covered by people. Um, my plane tickets home were covered. My books by professors were bought for me. Um, a complete stranger bought me, didn't buy me, but gave me a car. Um, it, money would just show up in my mailbox from unknown sources. It was just 
there's so many moments of kindness, I can't even say, sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah. Turn to chapter four, verse 13. We're gonna close with this. If this story wasn't amazing enough, it's about ready to be wretched up a, a notch or five. Chapter four, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and began and became his nurse. And the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. You know, this just isn't a story about an Israelite man and a Moabite woman. It's a story about God's sovereignty. It's a story about how God was working to preserve a line that would lead to a king and not just any king. But in Matthew chapter one, in the New Testament, chapter one, verse five, in the most unlikely of places, in the lineage of Jesus Christ, we read the name Ruth. What in the world is a Moabite woman doing in the family tree of Jesus Christ? That's the question. And she's there for the same reason that you and I are there. Because we are Ruth, deserving of nothing, but by God's grace, we've been adopted into the family of God. So let us be a people that walk in the spirit of God and in kindness. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this church. God, I pray that we would not grow weary of growing in, in the spirit of pursuing you in all things. God, I pray we'd be a people that fight sin and pursue love. Lord, I pray tonight as we fellowship with one another and as we uh, celebrate our relationships that we have with one another, as we spit seeds, uh, uh, watermelon seeds, Lord, I pray we'll do it all to your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen.